0: The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
1: Hi,
2: this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
3: I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. And you're listening to the Tennis Podcast.
2: Well folks, it is on. After 10 days of Roland Garros 2023, we have arrived at the destination we hoped to be at with five remaining days of competition. Yes, I am of course talking about Tim Puetz and Miyukato (laughs) winning the mixed doubles title. They're into the semi-finals. It is on. And I'm only half joking because I genuinely want that to happen with all of my heart and soul. But I am also being facetious because, of course, I also mean Carlos Alcaraz against Novak Djokovic in a Grand Slam for the first time, best of five sets. It is happening.
1: Oh, I can't wait. Can you? Guys, I'm so excited. So excited. This is what we've been waiting for and their performances today set it up perfectly. Like i it was I was excited about it anyway, but I'm even more excited about it now after seeing them both play today. Bring it on.
2: Yeah, in in the words of my brother Math on our Alcarazmataz WhatsApp group, very appropriately he said i feel like this afternoon has been a 6 hour long trailer for alcaraz against Djokovic. and i really think that sums up the afternoon perfectly doesn't it it was a real you know when when the big 3 arguably fought i mean i do believe in the big 4 we all do but i think in the in this example i, I do think of it as big 3 when he when two of them would be scheduled back to back on a show court at a grand slam this quite often happened didn't it you know one would go out there and make a statement and then there'd be a statement in response to follow that anything you can do i can do better yeah
4: my my mind uh, this afternoon instantly went back to that australian open when nadal played and beat stefanos tsitsipas very handily very heavily and we were all like, uh-oh, this guy is on, and Djokovic is in for a trouble. And then Djokovic came out and just destroyed Luka Pui as though he didn't exist. And then it was—it felt suddenly very 50-50 going into it. As it happens, it was an, a really one-sided final, and Djokovic just destroyed Nadal. Probably one of the best performances I've ever seen from him. Um, but there's a similar feel. That's exactly what I thought too.
2: Carlos Alcaraz, let's let's work backwards, shall we? Because Carlos Alcaraz's demolition of Stefano Sittapaz is most fresh in our mind. It's what we've just watched. You two are both there in the stadium. You both went to the press conferences. David, I think you asked him the last English question in that press conference. Is demolition too harsh? Alcaraz himself in in a Spanish interview on Eurosport, described it as his best ever performance, which I know he's only 20, but that is, goodness me, that's a, a, high, a high bar that he's, in his, in his own estimations, hurdled over there. Hmm.
1: I think demolition is exactly the word for what it was for an hour and a half, anyway. I, I heavily over-snacked. For this match, I had all sorts of snacks with me up in the press seats, and and only got through some of them because I was anticipating at least three hours. And it was it was quite it was quite clearly over in my mind after about forty five minutes. I I sent a message to. Mary Crillo, saying that the omelet is closed for Stefanov Sitsipas tonight which <laughs> which is a if you know you know reference but just the difference between them the the quality gap I thought was extraordinary today I mean Alcaraz had so many ways to hurt Sitsipas and such a clear plan of what he wanted to do and Tsitsipas did not play well at all, e- even for even accounting for the fact that Alcaraz was incredible. And I think that probably shell-shocked Tsitsipas a little bit. Tsitsipas played a really bad match. I think his forehand, which I've always talked up and everyone has talked up, was nowhere to be seen for most of the match. And Alcaraz was either coming up with an incredible forehand run, uh, forehand shot on the run, or he was hitting just the most perfect drop shots but generally he was just sort of dissecting the Sitsipas game and exposing the big difference between them it was there's a bit awkward actually for for an hour and a half the the difference between them and it was it was not the sort of match that we've seen that often in terms of a a guy like Sitsipas still i think of Sitsipas as young and yet there's a new young guy, a new kid in town, so much better than him already. And if I were Sitsipas, I would be worried about what this means for the future. You know, maybe I mean, we
2: ain't that young anymore.
1: Right. I mean, how how is Sitsipas going to beat this guy? I, By not taking melatonin before the match. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, we need to get into that, don't we? Because in his In his press conference, he was sort of asked to explain what went wrong in those first few sets, and he blamed it on melatonin and naps. He said he took some melatonin this afternoon, had a nap, and then he was sleepy during the first couple of sets of this. And then, if that wasn't sort of dumb enough on its own, he made the point that he'd done it before, when he played Namat Djokovic in Bear Sea, I think he said, and he also lost the first two sets. Well, that was the match, 6-1, (laughs) 6-2. So well, why are you doing it again then?
2: <laughs> I, ca- I can't believe he's... I, look, I know he was presumably in a dark place after that match, but don't take it out on naps.
4: He, he was actually quite sort of philosophical, as he said it, wasn't he? I, you know, I really mustn't do that again. I, I did mm. it once before in Paris. So it sounds so- like, sounds
2: some- like he probably is going to do it again. Something
4: about Paris that makes me have melatonin and have, have naps and then play appallingly.
2: Is it deflection, though? Is it deflection? Because that is a that is the sort of defeat that has to prompt soul searching. Not just because of the manner of it, but because the fact that it's to 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 a guy whose position he was in four years ago. You know, the anointed successor. You know, the guy who you wanted to see take on Nadal and Djokovic, and at the time, Federer to see whether he could enforce the changing of the guard you know the changing of the guard that we all know has to come at some stage how long can they fend off these young guys that was him and it isn't him anymore that has to hurt so much doesn't it
4: well i I think that it is deflection and it's it's avoidance unless he's unless he's not being truthful. Maybe he's saying it just to get us out of his face, you know, and maybe he's going to go into a a dark place and the sexy French depression that he was in against Vavrinka that day. Um, But, I mean, he just looked, he he, he did look like he'd got too many excuses, really, for it. Um, And he was obviously gutted, don't get me wrong, but I also feel like, he he needs to actually try and do something about this and and improve. And I don't, I know he's trying to improve all the time, but he probably needs to make some major change to his backroom staff, as we obviously know, because the thing with his dad is surely not the best situation for him. Yeah,
2: and but I think Penny he needs to from do Mark it. for
4: is his thoughts right now. Yeah, I mean it's the, it's just a shame.
2: An in, an interesting one here is this a Hannah put out on our Twitter, this is a classic match-up problem. I think sort of deep into the second set, at the point that, as you say, Matt, it had become extremely awkward. The contest was over and it was just a a death march for, for Stefanos Tsitsipas towards towards the finish line. I know he did rally in that third set, but that was largely Alcaraz's uh, concentration-lapse-assisted I would say... It's
4: what, it's what in American football, they call garbage time. When, you know, yeah. the, the opposition gets loads and loads of points and makes the scoreline oh, look well, respectable.
2: I I, you, I know about garbage time now. You taught me last year. Yes. That, yeah.
4: And it doesn't mm. really mean anything. Mm. Mm.
2: Okay, so my question then, how much is this a match-up problem for Stefanos Sitzapaz or how much is this, in the words David of Kim Kleister's in commentary with you on Five Live... A case of the limits of your own DNA versus your opponents. Those were her words. Or is it both?
1: I think it's probably both because I think Alcaraz is better than anyone on the tour right now. Perhaps with the exception of Novak Djokovic. We will get to find out on Friday. Very (laughs) excited about that, if that isn't (laughs) obvious. But, you know, I think he's better than Yannick Sinner, for example. But... That That isn't so much of a match-up problem for Yannick Sinner, but Carlos Alcaraz is faster than Tsitsipas. He has a bigger forehand. He has a better backhand. He has better touch. His serve is better. Like, everything about his game, I think, is better than Stefano Tsitsipas's. You know, I, I don't think I would take anything that Tsitsipas has over anything that Alcaraz has. I mean, feel free to... Chip in if you if you think there is something, but he just seems way more complete, way more confident, and 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 as exactly as you said, he's in that zone of his career, Alcaraz that Sitsipas was in a few years ago, and yet Alcaraz is really taking advantage of it. He he is getting to number one while he's got this fearlessness. He is winning a Grand Slam title when he's got it. He is. Cons- consistently winning titles and producing big moments, and Tsitsipas had some of that, but you know maybe partly because of the era he was in as well, he was running up against Nadal and Djokovic more frequently than jo- than Alcaraz has done. He wasn't quite able to sort of establish himself as the guy in the way that Alcaraz has done, and he's just by doing that, he's just given, he's just got so much confidence, and he just seems to have increased the. The sort of gap between himself and and the rest, Alcaraz, and yeah, it's so. I think it's both. It's a matchup problem, yes, but also Alcaraz is just fundamentally a better tennis player. I think.
2: Have you seen a better two sets from Alcaraz than those first two today?
1: No, probably not. But then, I don't think he was push that hard you know I think some mm. of the tennis he played against Yannick Sinner at the US Open last year probably mm. impressed me more because he was having to come up with it it was it was all just kind of easy for him tonight
4: well what I would say is there's a big difference between him now and a year ago and even at the US Open in that it's all within him he's, he's playing mm. very efficient tennis he's playing just professional tennis as even though it's astounding in its brilliance and jaw dropping at times it's repeatable he looks like he can just do this time after time after time and if he misses a few and he gets in a bit of a rut for a little while and he did he did get shaky at the end and in that third set and he was yeah he was he was about to win is is that a worry no I really don't think so I think in if anything it'll sharpen his senses for next Mm. time he'll just learn Uh, you know he's going to get in two years time I mean I just fear for everybody because of of what he'll become if if he doesn't get injured because he's going to be even stronger he'll be just as fast and he will be so experienced uh, and able to handle the moment I feel like with Runa the other day we he learned on the job he learned in real time how to handle a five set five set classic and he's you know he's getting better but this is, this is important, I think, for Alcaraz to have come through this, to be 6-2, 6-1, 3-love, and looking like he's barely going to drop another game, and then suddenly he's in a third set tie break. It's not ideal for him, but actually it may be better for him in the long run. I think he learned something today.
1: Yeah, and he put it down to losing focus and concentration, didn't he? Which I just don't think he will do against know about Djokovic because I don't think he's going to be in a situation where he's so far ahead I, th- I think I think he it will mm. be tighter he will be forced to focus all the time I just I can't imagine that scenario playing out against Djokovic it's
2: a br- brutal line subtly brutal line that for sit to pass, isn't it the only reason I didn't win the third set sort of Mm. 6-2. It was too easy. It's because it was too easy and I lost
1: concentration. (laughs) Not because you got any better. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I felt like... What do you make of Tsitsipas and his relationship with the crowd tonight? I thought it was really interesting because he was doing these big celebrations after he got to, you know, 15 love in a game. And there was one moment where he received a huge applause from the crowd and he just served through it. I felt like he, he, I felt like it was straying between not really using the crowd to his advantage at, at some points and at others not acting like a world number five, not acting like a guy who's, was in the final of this tournament a couple of years ago. I think by the end he maybe started using the crowd a little bit more effectively but There was a weird portion in the match where I was like, it was a bit, I don't know, it just just seemed a bit pathetic.
4: Mm. I thought it was embarrassing, really. I thought his performance was pretty embarrassing in the first two sets, albeit aided and abetted by miraculous play down the other end of the court. But yeah, I'm afraid watching a guy of his stature raising his arms like somebody who's just avoided a double bagel in the last minute, is not what you want to be seeing from a player like him. I I thought it was quite sad to see, really.
2: Yeah, I think encouragement of sympathetic applause. Like, top 50 players shouldn't be doing that. You need to be sort of 80 in the world, taking on the world number one, it's five love, you've got a game on the board, fine. Encourage Mm. the sympathetic applause. But if you're someone with aspirations of being in the position of your opponent, you need to not be playing the sympathetic applause game. I mean, you might get some anyway because, and there'll be more of this later, who knows what the French crowd are going <laughs> to come at you with in any given moment. But I don't think you should be playing that game. I don't think you should be encouraging it. That's He needs a slice backhand, doesn't he? I mean, I know that that has been the case for a long time but it has never felt more urgent and pressing than it did tonight
4: Mm, I'm just not I agree with you because he looks really awkward when anybody kicks something up high to his backhand and Alcraz is so vicious with that shot just question how much you can improve that shot when it's as clunky and awkward looking and unnatural as his slice backhand currently is I I mean Mark Philobuses was was clearly working on that with him and he was getting him to do it but it just doesn't it sort of goes up in its trajectory he just sort of chops it and it goes upwards it doesn't knife and keep low and skid look. no it mm-hmm. doesn't seem to really work as a shot for him
2: wait by the phone David the call might come
4: <laughs> you going you can I'll transplant mine onto him
2: <laughs> you can say do you see that Grigor Dimitrov performance last night that, I told him to do that I taught him that <laughs> Maybe the phone call won't come. Uh, let's talk about Novak Djokovic. Four sets for him against Karen Hashinov, who, my take, my overall big picture take on this match is Karen Hashinov has played him into exactly the form and mental toughness that Novak Djokovic wants to be in ahead of. A meeting with Carlos Alcaraz.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very good way of putting it. I didn't get to see too much of the first two sets of this, so I'll, I'll let David talk more about that. But it was kind of crazy to me that Djokovic was apparently not playing that well in those two sets, because the latter half of this match that I really did focus on and, and did watch, he was... Incredible. I mean, the third set was some of the best tennis I've ever seen him play. He hit one unforced error in that set. Every shot was going exactly where he wanted it to go. And just prior to that, he'd he'd played one of his classic tie breaks. You know, he's he's a set down. He's he's not playing that well, and suddenly gets in into a second set tie break, which is okay. Not not exactly. M- Pivotal, necessarily. He still could have come back from two sets down. We've seen him do it before. But he'd been in real trouble because Hachnov was playing really well. It was pretty important that Djokovic won this tiebreak. And he won it seven love. He didn't hit an unforced error. He hit a string of brilliant shots. And in this tournament now, he's played five tiebreaks, 47 points across them, and he's not hit an unforced error. And he's hit double figures of winners it is is that matt stat no because i gave it to hannah for twitter earlier in the day it's it's probably better than matt stat let's be honest (laughs) it's nothing's better than matt (laughs) stat
4: he's just overflowing with them
1: (laughs) but it's it's incredible and he and he spoke about it a bit in the press conference afterwards that it really is a mode a, a mental space that he goes into in those tie breaks that I don't think he can keep up for the whole match. You know, I think some people would say, well, why did not you just play like that all the time? It just requires a level of intense focus for a short period of time where he knows that every point really does matter. And he's able to lock in mentally and lock down his game. And it is, it's incredible, his ability to elevate. I mean, we were speaking to Mary Crillo afterwards and she said she's never seen anyone be able to do it so well and mary has seen most of the greats you know most, certainly in the open era all of them and i find it just fascinating how he's how he's able to do it and it and, and after that he said he released and you can see that in in his third set performance in his fourth set performance he suddenly just is swinging more freely and it's all it's all just flowing brilliantly. And it was incredible tennis in the last two sets.
2: Yeah, suddenly sets three and four, his forehand became the shot that Daniel Medvedev was talking about to us when he came on the podcast in Indian Wells, wasn't he? Just nobody talks about Djokovic's forehand enough, this monster weapon. It really looked like that in sets three and four. And he's changed changed the rules of the the sport because you can't win a tiebreak against him. Maybe that'll be different. Maybe that won't apply to Carlos Alcaraz, but you know, you can't hold on and hold serve and keep him at bay and get yourself into a tiebreak. That does not apply to Novak Djokovic. He's changed. He's moved the goalpost such that you have to break him, mm. basically.
4: Well, Hachov did both of the things well that I said he needed to do well. He managed to hurt Djokovic, you know, like a boxer playing fighting a world champion who needs to land early and make him get his respect and he did that he came out firing he was comfortably the better player in the first set he won the set six four and then he did the other thing which is to stay with him and keep it close and give himself a chance if if he got it into a tiebreak, which he did and he's a setup he's in a tiebreak, and he loses it seven love and i don't even think he did much wrong I think Hatchinov, that's if that's not the best I've ever seen him play it's not far off. And in the third set he played well and he lost 6-2. Djokovic's level in that third set arguably even higher than anything Alcaraz did today. It was mm, just stunning. sublime and it's so liquid it's he it doesn't there's no jerkiness he's not forcing the ball that release word is is key that's the the, the best I've heard of Djokovic able to articulate what happens to him because you see it on the court. He's not supposed to be a big hitter on paper when against these people who are bludgeoning the ball. And yet the ball's coming off his strings in those moments, faster than the opponent, no matter who they are, maybe with the exception of Alcaraz. And that's why this match is so mouth-watering and tantalising because we just haven't seen it. And we haven't seen Anybody, I don't think that makes you feel like Alcaraz does. That he might even be able to handle Djokovic like that.
2: It just takes a a classic mode of winning for lower-ranked players against top players. It takes it off the table. It removes the the smash and grab from the equation. To use a a football comparison, you know, you're you're. You're 18th in the league, and you're taking on Man City. You know, let's play for the smash and grab. Let's park the bus, and hope to just nick one in the 80th minute. That you know, that's the equivalent of just hang on to your serve, tooth and nail, get yourself in a tie break. And how many times do you hear commentators? You know, you go into a tie break in a match like that, and they go, "Anything can happen in a tie break." You know, it's a toss of a coin. Those are the cliches, aren't they? And it's just. Kind of off the table mm. with Djokovic, which is, I think, mentally for his opposition. Again, who knows if this will apply to Carlos Alcaraz? We will find out on Friday. Pumped, he said that. But, but it is—it's just incredible and fascinating. And he's—it really feels like he's changed
4: the rules. And he's using it, Catherine. Because when we were in that press conference, he made it very clear. He said yes, I know that I I am good at tie breaks and I've got this record and it's useful to me. It's also useful to me that the opponent knows mm. that I've got these tie breaks as well. It gives me an advantage. I found that really interesting as well. It's proper insight, isn't it? That he's aware of of the record and I he's such an interesting tennis player to watch, especially age 36. He's more interesting at 36 than he was at 26 because it's not just about physicality anymore and and his gifts it's about management and and he and he's using his mind to beat people
1: well again name drop mary quillo was was cut off before she got to ask this question in the press conference it, it was it was ended before mary mary was able to ask a question but i i asked her what was your question going to be and she said that Andre agassiz once said you can just tell it's going to be a great question when it, when it starts with <laughs> quoting Andre Agassi, once said that the problem with tennis is once you have the experience and the know-how and the wisdom, you don't have the body anymore. But Mary's theory is that Djokovic is at that moment in his career, and maybe has been for a little while, actually, that he's got both and you know his his body you know we've spoken about it this year it's starting to let him down a little bit more than it has been he's he's talked about how he has to sort of manage his body more than than in the past he's got more niggles but basically he's fine you know he's he said before the tournament nothing that's going to prevent him from playing well and exactly as david's just described he has totally got the experience and the wisdom and he knows how to play five set tennis, especially better than he ever has. He's just got mastery of this format. I think what makes well, one of the many things that makes it so exciting about him playing Alcaraz is that Alcaraz is at the completely opposite end of his career where we know that the body is not letting him down. Okay, it, it has done that, actually, has been his problem injuries, but generally, when he's fit, his body is you know, built for this. But he's got the exuberance and the fearlessness of youth. So it's, it's that versus Djokovic's experience. And it, it's just the most tantalising matchup. We've not, we've not had that in men's tennis for a long, long time. We've had experience versus experience in these a- and, big matches. And matchups
2: that we know inside out and right. we're thinking, yeah, yeah. you know, will it be like the last time they played? Will it be like the last time they played here? Will it be like the last time they, you know...
4: I- and, and actually, pass in the final question I asked him, which was... I, I tried to say, look, I know you don't care about this semi-final, <laughs> right? And you feel terrible right now, but... You played Djokovic in the final of the Australian Open. You've just played this guy in a big more, match. More happy memories. To, um, for, but to you know, c- him can off. you compare what it's like to to play against the two of them? You know, and and he just gave this really pithy, good answer. I thought he just said, Djokovic has the experience. Alcaraz has the legs. And and he said he's like speedy Gonzalez, but you've got this guy in Djokovic who's just precision. And I thought, he summed it up really well there. And, and I, I mean, I, you could still go back and forth about who's going to win the thing very easily. And, w- and we've got three days to do that now.
2: Imagine <laughs> if it's just crap.
1: <laughs> like Reggie's predictions. There's no curse, <laughs> it's just crap. But who's Reggie going to go for, in it? But th- I said that to David there's no way it can be crap.
2: Well, no, I agree. I say that, like... I
1: can't even imagine With it.
2: full... Com- like, not even worried that that will mm-hmm. be played on some awful, you know, <laughs> still, relived show I'm in still years remembering us,
4: though, Catherine, in that bar in Melbourne at three in the morning when we... You were there as well, weren't you? Three in the morning when Djokovic had just played Nadal mm. and we were so pumped... And it ended up being crap. Yeah, <laughs> and, I it's, mean, Djokovic was amazing. Don't get me wrong, but it was but rubbish. It wasn't,
2: you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I just don't want either of them to win. Being amazing, you know,
4: just I don't want it to be one sided. No, you want it to be a ama- match. I mean, would say though today's one sided matches. I mean, it had the the up, upside of knowing that it led to this clash, but they were both great to watch because they were just so good. But no, I don't want that. It up. won't be crap. No, guys. both be good at the same time for five hours, please. <laughs> yeah, all right? That's all yeah. we ask. Yeah,
1: you've <laughs> you've literally not played each other in over a year. You owe us <laughs> five hours of brilliance, please. Mm. Then, yeah, and I just don't think that is asking for too much. And
2: by the time they play, we will know whether Tim Puetz and Miyu Kato have won the mixed doubles title because that final is on Thursday. They play the um, the semi-finals tomorrow. So we'll be following that just as closely, folks. Um, Before we start to talk about the women's quarterfinals that we saw today, it feels like a good time to remind you that the tennis podcast throughout Roland Garros is brought to you in association with...
4: On Location! On
2: Location, the premium hospitality and experience Experience provider! Uh, They are, of course, (laughs) the official tour operator of the BNP Paribas Open at Indian Wells in March... And as we've been telling you, the packages via Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours for Indian Wells in 2024 are now on sale. If you'd like to go in style, experience truly, honestly, one of the most spectacular settings in which to watch professional tennis, stay in four or five-star accommodation, get great tickets to watch the tennis and access to a hospitality suite to watch uh, to relax in between matches, just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast and go to the Welcome to Paradise section. We've had a few people get in touch to say they have done just that.
4: Hey, you might see our against Djokovic.
2: Let's not get ourselves sued, <laughs> David.
4: Might, I said might.
2: <laughs> might. Yeah. Look, whatever you see, I'm sure it'll be great. Agreed. And it'll be in one of the most spectacular settings to watch professional tennis. That
1: much is guaranteed. We didn't see our Djokovic, and we still had a great time.
2: Yes, Matt. That's how to not get ourselves sued. <laughs> Correct.
3: As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either.
0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
4: Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking, and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can do with a bit of help sometimes, and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me. And Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert.
2: Right then, moving on to the women's quarterfinals, which opened up the day today. We started with a straight set to win for Karolina Mukova over Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. How much was this about Pavlyuchenkova being out of gas after all the tennis she had played? How much is this about Karolina Mukova just being the damn good tennis player that we've always known that she could be if her body could hold together?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think it's those two things precisely. I I noticed in Pavlovchenkova's previous press conference, Catherine, you asked her about how she was feeling and how she might recover and I and I said to you afterwards, Was that a question so that you could make an informed prediction about how Pavlovchenkova might get on in her next match? And You said partly, I think. And then and then we both made a bad prediction because we both had Mukova to win this match in in three sets. And I guess Pavlyuchenkova did have a good set in her. And I was thinking maybe she would win it, but she lost it in in that first set. It was such a good first set between these two. Back and forth, both players displaying their best qualities. You know, Mukova all-court tennis. Pavlyuchenkova occasionally with just these brilliant strikes of the ball that would do so much damage. But... Once Mukova won it, Pavlovchenkova really did fade in in that second set and, and and didn't have too much left. You know, perfectly understandably after so long out of the game and having just not played this much tennis for so long, it, it always felt like it would would sort of run out eventually. But Mukova is such a good player and I think the most encouraging thing is that she's reached the semifinals here. And she's in a lot better shape than previous Grand Slams where she'd gone deep, you know, quarterfinals or semifinals. It always felt like she was hanging on. And it doesn't feel like that at all now. She seems really strong and really ready and is a very, very dangerous opponent, I think, for Irina Sabalenka mm. in, in the semis. She's got the sort of game that might be able to disrupt... Totally Sabalenka. different
2: proposition to, to anybody else she's played and to most other players on tour, quite frankly.
1: Right. Yeah, they just aren't players who play like Mukova. I mean, the I think the name that so often comes to mind for people is someone who isn't on tour anymore, and that's, that's Ashbarty. Barty.
2: Han, Hannah, David, I don't know if you saw this, describes Karolina Mukova as Ashbarty's spiritual heir mm. today, and it really struck a chord with me. I know I'm I'm big on Mookefer and always had been, but that really landed. With well, well me. I th-
4: I think one of the things that makes that so resonant is that so was Barty. Barty was big on Mooke. Mm. When she played her she was beaten by Mukover, wasn't she? Yeah, in Australia. Yeah. Mm. And and I remember when they were I don't know whether it was that Grand Slam or I think it was maybe before that when they were coming up to it and I remember she said the way that she tends to, oh, I was saying to ties, you know, that, uh, that that I like this chick. Oh, it's like <laughs> Barty's
2: back on tour. <laughs> it's like she's in the room.
4: And uh, <laughs> she just, she rated her because she was her kind of player. I think, you know, uh, a jock almost, she called her. And somebody who's just a great ball player and could do any sport just like Barty can with, with her cricket and with uh, golf. Um, and I think, we're at least getting to enjoy Caroline Mukhova's career now because it's been, what, three years, three, four years of just knowing that this talent is out there that we cannot watch reliably at tennis tournaments. And suddenly we can. Every round, I mean, look, I know she, an injury can happen any time, but every round has just been her not being injured, Carolina McCullough, but playing tennis and showing us what she's got.
2: She got to the semi-finals of Grand Slam with no detectable strapping on her body. Mm. Uh, unless it's in places I can't see. <laughs> in which case, out of sight, out of mind, she is unstrapped after five matches. That really is significant. huge.
1: Mm. Yeah, and I, I think... On the Barty point, I actually think she's got a bit more athleticism and and power than Ash Barty had. I mean, she's got probably some things that Barty... You know, there were things that Barty did better. I think Barty had a better serve. I think Barty had a much better slice backhand. Probably something more potent forehand. You know, Barty was a great, great player. But there are aspects that Mukova has that I don't think Barty did, you know. And I saw a good tweet from... Matt Trollop today saying, "What would, what would Mukovas best surface be? You know, because you've got hard courts that can sort of reward that movement and that athleticism. You've got clay that she can use her variety and construct points and." Grass, she can come forward. You know, She's she, she, dangerous. She, at she really can do everything. And
4: I, I'm actually really looking forward to kind of watching her more closely because I don't feel like I've watched enough of her matches. There was a she came along at the same time as Rebecca, as I recall. It's just that in the last twelve months, Rebecca has been at the front of the conversation all the time, so I've seen her loads. Don't I haven't had a chance yet, and I'm yeah, really looking you're right. forward and, to and it.
2: Similarities in the, I mean, obviously Mukov had the physical stuff, but she was also interrupted massively by the pandemic in terms of it coming at that crucial point in her development I think not to keep hammering home the point of how big I've been on Mukhaver for for many disappointing years but I think at the start of 2020 obviously in those halcyon days before we knew what was was coming for us I think I put her in my end of year um, WTA finals lineup in the year-long predictions and of course she both got injured, and there was a global pandemic, so all
4: rankings <laughs> were rendered irrelevant. <laughs> that didn't happen,
2: <laughs> but big similarities to to Rebecca in that sense as well. Um, and she's been to she's been to quarterfinals at Wimbledon before, hasn't she? And that's that's during the cursed years. Is Karolina Mukova evidence, Reggie? I'm talking to you directly here. That curses can be broken.
1: Matteo Berrettini hopes so.
2: <laughs> Where is Matteo Berrettini? Is he going to play the grass? Don't know. Not necessarily a discussion for now. But... I
1: don't believe in
4: curses. Uh, and, and I do believe in Karolina Nemukova against Irina Sabalenka as a match that I cannot wait yeah, for. Yeah,
2: me too. Mm,
4: it's
1: great.
2: Sabalenka against Svitolina. The match, first and foremost, I think... Slightly more competitive than I'd expected, been in terms of what it looked like, the pattern of the match, you know, brute power against guile and defensiveness, sort of someone just trying to hold back the tide for as long as they possibly can and doing so valiantly before succumbing to what felt like the inevitable. The pattern of the match was what I was expecting at least, Matt.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Sabalenka was in and out. When she was playing well, she was playing really, really well, and she was also making quite a lot of errors at times. But Svitolina was having to play kind of at the peak of her powers just to just to live with Sabalenka, really. And it always felt like it was on Sabalenka's racket. There was a there was a bit of a rally from Svitolina at the start of the second set, and she won a a long game and hit an incredible backhand down the line and the crowd were really getting behind her. But, you know, Sabalenka 2.0 does not allow opponents to run away with matches against her anymore. She's, she's able to, if momentum is going against her, she's able to bring it back. I think that if I had to sum up the biggest change to Sabalenka this year, I think it would be that. And perfect example at the start of the second set, she, she got it back on track so quickly. And yeah, she was. She did enough today. I, I don't, I've don't. i seen Sabalenka play a lot better this year, for sure. But I always felt like she would win. It just felt like she had too much game.
2: I had a memory today of us going over to court 14 to watch Sabalenka last year, I think in round one, against Madison Brengel. And I think we kind of went for the lols. Because she had such <laughs> sounds like us she, she had such yips at the time on her serve and then that was infecting her whole game. It was like you know, all due respect to Madison Brengel, Sabalenka should should just be, you know beating her handily in her sleep. But it was I dunno, mm. it was it was the Sabalenka show and it was a very different show to what the Sabalenka show is now. It was a, a woman battling with herself. And mm. there, there was some bizarre humour to it
1: all, wasn't there? That was 12 months ago. I, I, think, it's imp- I think it's important to remember that. Like, I think that was a big part of our coverage of Sabalenka and everyone's coverage of Sabalenka during the Australian Open this year. Because it was during the Australian Open last year where it became clear just how bad the serve was and there was a very easy comparison point there of how much progress she'd made in the last year but now Sabalenka being so good and doing so well has become so normalized that I probably do forget a little bit about how bad it was at at some points last year and I think I think you know, Sabalenka ended up in the top eight last year. She she ended up having a good season. She overcame herself. She's already won more matches this year than she won in the whole of last season. the The improvements she's made in in such a short space of time are pretty dramatic and extraordinary. Really, I'm I I, I do find her one of the most compelling players to watch now for. For much more positive reasons you know she was compelling last year but it's it's so much more controlled now it's 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 brilliant mm,
2: Six four six four for her today over Alina Svitolina we knew what to expect after the match in terms of there not being a handshake Alina Svitolina has made it very clear that she is not shaking hands with Russian and Belarusian opponents that applied even to to Dorek Kazakina, who has been very outspoken against the war, the most outspoken of any player. Something that that Svitolina has recognised and and said she you know respects and acknowledges the bravery of that. And Kazakina, in the previous round, took it out of Svitolina's hands uh, and and didn't wait as as you normally would expecting a handshake. She went straight to the bag and made eye contact with Svitolina and indicated, you know, it's fine. And there was a thumbs up, I think, from Svitolina wasn't there. And Kazakhina ended up getting booed off court for that, because apparently something I've learned this fortnight is French tennis crowds really love a handshake. <laughs> they want to see a handshake, and if they don't see one, they're getting angry about it. And that applies even to Ukrainian players who are, Adopted as one of their own, you know. In that match against Kazakina, Svitolina was cheered on as if she were French, and that was something that she remarked upon after the match. That she's receiving the the same support that her husband receives. Gamalfees playing in France, she said, "I know what it feels like to be Gamalfees," and she was cheered on during the match today. It was a it was a great atmosphere. There was a drum band in the crowd they were unfortunately sitting very close to us and the drum beat was going right through my soul every time it every time that <laughs> that drumstick stick thwacked down I felt sort of a crack in my forehead anyway great atmosphere but then the handshake or non-handshake what happened was Irina Sabalenka went to the net very demonstrably and sort of leant on it in expectation of a handshake, which Svitolina obviously wasn't interested in. She went to the bag, packed up her stuff. In that moment, once the crowd realises there isn't going to be a handshake, there is booing, it wasn't quite clear in that moment whether that was for the general situation, whether it might even have been for Sabalenka sort of putting Svitolina in the position of having to refuse the handshake. And then Svitolina goes to walk off court. And there are more booze. And those are very definitely for Alina Svitolina. And I'm still sh- processing that. I'm still shell-shocked by it. I couldn't believe we were stood together, Matt, in the prep bo- press box. I couldn't believe what I was hearing, actually. Mm.
1: It was it was quite upsetting, actually. It was shameful, I think, um, that that happened to Svitolina. I don't think it was Sabalenka's finest moment to lean on the net as she did and make out like there was going to be a handshake. Um, she said afterwards that it was purely her instinct and she does it after every match to go to the net. I'm sorry, I don't think that's true because in the first round against Marta Kostyuk, she didn't do that. And she she should be aware that if she doesn't want to make it seem like Alina Svitolina has avoided the handshake and make it seem like Alina Svitolina is doing something wrong, she should have had the awareness in that moment not to do that. I think I think that was that was poor from for Marina Sabalenka. Um and it you know, optically to the ignorant fan in in the stands It maybe did look like Alina Svitolina had avoided a handshake, and of course she had, but she'd made that very clear for her reasons for doing that, and that she was going to do that before the match. And Sabalenka knew that, and I just I I didn't love that sort of slightly pointed going to the net and making it seem like Svitolina had made that decision in the moment when we all knew that that was what was going to happen. I thought Sabalenka could have could have handled the end of the match right there better than she did.
2: I still don't understand why the no, French absolutely. crowd are booing. I, I, I don't disagree with anything you said, but what, what, I mean, French crowd love aggro. Why are they so bothered about handshakes? Yeah, I, I thought that was, it's, weird. it's
4: just, come on. Do you not know that there's a war going on between Ukraine and Russia and Belarus? I mean, do you not know? And I mean, I, I I'm hoping that... Sabalenka that that was just a brain freeze and an accident that she really just forgot herself in the moment I think that is possible I hope that's the case um she still shouldn't she still should have been able to know in that moment I I agree with you it was was was
2: oblivious and insensitive at best and then in the on-court interview her first answer is about how great the crowd were which yeah they were great during the match but the last we heard from the crowd was them booing your Ukrainian opponent off court and it's just
3: it not, just clangs, doesn't it? It's, it, 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 it,
2: it? it's not ideal. Um And then there was the wait to find out if Sabalenka would come to press. She obviously has elected not to do press on mental health grounds uh, after her last two wins. She did come to press. Alina Svisalina came in first and she was asked about everything we've, we've just described and she she didn't labour the point but she was upset by Sabalenka doing that. She said perhaps she, she was asked whether she had thought of going to the WTA ahead of the match to sort of say, I won't be shaking hands. Please make that clear to my opponents ahead of time. And she's kind of said, well, I I I, th- I thought I'd made myself clear enough, but maybe Sabalenka didn't know. Maybe I should go to the WTA. Um, it was an upsetting press conference really, wasn't it? There was such a sadness and a weight about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's very true. Um I thought Svitolina has has handled press conferences all tournament extremely well. You know, she is facing a lot of questions that Will be difficult for her emotionally just to talk about and just to think about, let alone to then articulate in a second language.
2: And Matt Futterman's question put a perspective on that that I hadn't really brought into focus before. And he put the same question to Sabalenka as well. He said, "Do you feel like it's been a it was a disadvantage for you relative to your opponent going into this match that for the last two rounds you have come in here and ex- expended the energy and the stress." of answering all these incredibly difficult questions that put you mentally, emotionally in this horrible position and Sabalenka hasn't had to do that. Was that an advantage in terms of her preparation versus yours? And Who can say? Mm. But it's an interesting thought.
1: Yeah, and Svitolina made the point that, you know... She wanted it all to be equal and fair and she made the point that, you know, Osaka wasn't given that option a couple of years ago. I do think Sabalenka has been given that option because of what Osaka did and the stance that she took and the fact that that was handled poorly, I think we can say, at the time. Um, I think that has been actually probably a a progression a positive development that Sabalenka is still in this tournament and hasn't been overly fined and was brought back to press within a couple of rounds I think generally things are better than they were two years ago in in that regard even if it hasn't been handled perfectly this time I think it's been better than it was two years ago and that is because of what Osaka did um but yeah she you know I think it's possible isn't it you know sport is as people always say so much about those those fine margins and Svitolina has had to face a lot of yeah challenging questions and Sabalenka in in the past couple of rounds hasn't.
2: I was pretty curious about how hard line the questions would be to Sabalenka given her reason for, for not attending the last two press conferences was that very tense exchange she had with the the Ukrainian journalist who is no longer at the French Open I think Sunday was her last day at the tournament and the answer is very hard line you know one of the first questions possibly the first actually was from a a Polish a, a, a Polish journalist who, you know, basically asked her to put her on the spot and asked her to denounce the war again. You know, put her on the spot about her relationship with Lukashenko, the the, the president of, of Belarus, um, and the number of times they've been pictured together. And she was obviously very well prepped and briefed f- for this. You know, she took a deep breath and she said he comes to all the fed cup billy jean king cup ties you know <laughs> kind of said it's it's unavoidable for me to to be pictured with him and to uh, he is unavoidable for me as a prominent athlete from belarus sort of denouncing him isn't a possibility for me is reading between the lines I think what she said she was then put on the spot further incredibly directly i whether this is fair or not i don't know but she was asked do you support lukashenko and she actually said i don't right now no
4: no she says i'm against the war and then i'm therefore i'm against what lukashenko is doing
2: yeah she um, said, I don't know. Journalists from Politico no, and I can't. That. I mean, has she now put her family in danger, herself in danger as a result of saying that? I mean, it's all so grey and messy. I don't think they should necessarily not have to face these questions, but equally, oh... Mm. It's horrible. I, it's I, all just I, horrible.
4: Personally I thought the question was fair and I thought she did a good a pretty decent job in that press conference. You
2: do think it's fair for them to be asked directly, do you support the regime? I, no I, knowing that they are pretty much unable unless they're prepared to do what Kazakhina has done, which is she should be praised for, it's extraordinary what she's done. But it's extraordinary because I wouldn't expect anyone to do that. You know, essentially become an enemy of the state.
4: I think she handled it well today. And I think...
2: She did? There's
4: no need now for that question to be asked again. Because it's been asked. She's answered it. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's just the potential worry about the repercussions mm. of her answer from the fact that it was asked in the first place. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I do worry about that. I, I, I completely. I thought she handled the press conference really, really well, Maria well, really well. Um But you know, I've, I've, none of us have lived, thankfully, under a dictatorship. We, mm. we and it's, it's very, 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 very hard for her to be asked that question.
2: Mm.
1: And and I simply don't know whether it's. Fair or not?
2: Yeah, agreed. Same. I don't know. There's. I. I just feel so sad about all of it. <sighs> okay, that is it for wrapping up today's play. We will preview the women's semi-finals once we have the full lineup set up tomorrow. I'm sure there'll be some more chat about Alkaraz Djokovic. Some more speculation about whether or not it'll be, it'll be crap. Uh, We'll also know what the other men's semi-final will be after tomorrow. So lots more to talk about. We have our mascot for the French Open, lovely Phoebe. Hello, Phoebe. Uh, We have our mascots, Xenia. We overestimated the legs left in Pavlyuchenkova today, Xenia. But we we ride again tomorrow. David's got Maisie. Yeah,
4: we're on a 2.0 day winning streak, Maisie. Novak Djokovic (laughs) pulled it out in four for us.
2: And Matt has Darwin.
1: Also overestimated (laughs) Uh, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova's legs.
2: Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. We have our executive producers and top folks, Jamie, Hannah and Drew. And Matt, we have shout-outs.
1: We have Callum McGarvey who is originally from Ayrshire, but now in Glasgow. I thought you were going to
2: say MacGyver there for a minute, and I was getting very excited.
4: I lived with a Callum at a university in Loughborough, a Callum McCosh, and he was a great guy, a rugby player, and yes, I remember him um, helping me to write my rugby report for the university newspaper when I knew absolutely nothing about rugby. Uh, which was a bit of a challenge. <laughs> anyway, uh, so thank you, Callum, and thank you, Callum, our friend of the Tennis Podcast.
1: That was I more also a shout-out. I with a Callum. Oh, okay. Mm.
2: What was he like?
1: Incredibly enthusiastic about everything. Everything was amazing, but... Uh, like he
4: was, it wasn't related to me.
1: <laughs> he's, he's, he's lovely, but I do remember when uh, he said, something's wrong with my car. Something's, something is wrong with my car. I thought he was the, he used to hype things up you know and he went out one day and came back in an AA van about, about two hours later he, he was right something was <laughs> something was wrong with his car <laughs> thank you Callum <laughs> we've also got Stacy Meadows from Dallas Texas
2: like Flushing
4: Meadows yes like Stacy McAllister
2: Stacey Alister.
4: Stacey Alistair. <laughs> I've, I've had a wine. <laughs> Stacey Alister, the US Open tournament
1: director. You this, got her
2: confused with Alexis McAllister.
1: Yeah, is
3: who's that? He's
1: just gone to the Liverpool football
2: against The Argentine World Cup winner just signed oh, yes. for Liverpool.
1: That's right. Mm. Well, this Stacey says that they're approximately the same vintage as David, and they had an Agassi calendar in college.
2: Well, that's not like David, because David was mm. very anti-Agassi. I'd have
1: had a
4: Sampras uh, calendar if it existed, but nobody was really <sighs> producing those. Whole photos of Pete
2: Sampras in different yeah. poses. All, all of them... That's a dry calendar,
4: All of it? them, All of them slam dunk smashes from the 90s. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have and that. a running
2: forehand in, yes! you know, in July.
4: Correct, Catherine. <gasps> Nothing from sort of spring when the clay court season was <laughs> on.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Stacy. And finally, we have Seagal Shaharabani, who is from Israel.
4: <gasps>
2: oh,
1: wow. Have
2: we... If we had Seagal before...
1: I think so. I,
2: we, I know the name Sigal unless we have multiple Seagals.
1: Seagal says, to make the name association more interesting, Seagal is not like Steven Seagal. Oh, balls, that's where I was going to go. <laughs> but the Hebrew equivalent of the name Violet.
2: Oh, lovely.
4: Mm. Wow, that's great info. Thank okay. you,
1: Seagal.
2: But are we saying it right? Because I'm saying Seagull, it like Stephen Seagull. Seagull
1: has incredibly helpfully spelt it phonetically. So yes, Seagull. Great. I'm relieved that we like have
2: Stephen it. Seagull. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it is spelt differently. Sure. But
2: yes. <laughs> Thank you very much, Seagull. Thank you to all of you who are friends of the tennis podcast. It is because of you that we are here in Paris, getting pumped about Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz and everything that is to come over the next five days. it was. It's because of you that I was interviewing Billie Jean King this morning for Tennis Relift content, or Bocco, if you will, <laughs> to come in the coming weeks and months. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts if you'd like to become a friend. The link to do that is in our show notes, as is the link to sign up to the newsletter, which is absolutely essential and of course if you'd like to get yourself a trip to India Mills next year then go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast and go to the welcome to paradise section we'll be back tomorrow, we'll speak to you then thanks for listening